Lord, we're grateful to worship you uh, even in weeks that are confusing and strange, and we pray that you would bless us even today. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. One morning, y'all can be seated. That, uh, that reading actually was that long. I didn't just keep going, which I, I would do, you know. I mean, y'all know me. So, uh... C.S. Lewis, a few weeks ago, I mentioned this sermon by C.S. Lewis called The Weight of Glory, and it's this incredible sermon. It's amazing, and it, um, it was written in 1941. Y'all all know what was going on in 1941, right? World War II, Pearl Harbor. Uh, there was a global war raging, literally, when Lewis gave that sermon. And so today, even though it's, it's tempting to give a sermon that's like a a coronavirus sermon or a, um, or a tornado sermon, uh, I'm going to do what I was taught, which is to look into the scriptures uh, and to see what God might have for us in his words. Um, Y'all know all throughout the Bible, well, really in three places, uh, there's a phrase, it's, the word of the Lord endures forever. It's in Isaiah, it's in Matthew, it's in First Peter. What that means is that God's words are durable. They are there for our endurance. And so I, I hope that y'all trust me when I, when I um, try. I'm not trying to avoid anything or avoid any hard conversations, but I am trying to bring us into grips with what's truly durable, which is God's words to us. So in that incredibly long gospel reading that we had today, which I'm sure you heard, it's the story of that unnamed and unknown woman that Jesus encounters at Jacob's well. And it is, well, obviously long, but also kind of difficult to summarize because it goes through multiple stages. There are sort of different characters. The conversation itself is kind of wandering. But if I were to summarize it, here's how I would do it. I would say that this is an unveiling. It's an encounter that is an undressing. It's an unveiling or revealing and an uncovering of what's truly down beneath Jesus uncovers this woman, we see vulnerability, and then Jesus undresses himself, and we see God. Finally, Jesus undresses what is really going on in the world, and we see a harvest. So that's what we're going to talk about. Jesus undresses us, we see vulnerability. Jesus undresses himself, we see God. Jesus undresses the world, and we see a harvest. So what do I mean? Well, first, I'm just going to we just need to talk about this woman. And this woman now is so famous. Isn't it remarkable that this woman, who we know really nothing about, is talked about for you know thousands of years? We don't know her name. She's not really mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. But as Jesus has this conversation with her, we slowly start to see who she really is. It's clear from the start that she's a Samaritan, which are people who are despised by the Jews. She is also a woman, obviously. And Jesus lives in a, a traditional culture where it's, it's not customary to talk with women alone. And so this conversation, in a lot of ways, would have just been inappropriate. Jesus is alone talking with this, this woman who's a Samaritan. Scripture also tells us that she comes uh, to this well right in the middle of the day. It's like high noon. And uh, in this culture, what people would typically do is they would go get water in these big jars, you know, big, big jugs, and they go and, 
and draw water from the well either early in the morning, you know, for cooking and for use throughout the day, or they would do it at night. But they wouldn't do this at, at high, you know, at noon, the heat of the day. So this is odd, and it, it, it clues us into either she doesn't want anybody to see her, or maybe she's a kind of social outcast, or maybe she just doesn't have any friends. But either way, she's coming at this strange hour where she obviously doesn't want people to see her. So then there's this series of questions that Jesus asks her. And Jesus describes to her in an almost awkward way who she really is. She has been one who has been unfaithful. She's with a man who she's not married to. And she's been married five times, which I'd say even in a kind of Western, modern culture, that's, that's pretty extraordinary. I don't think I know anybody who's been married five times. Maybe I'll do. I, I don't. But anyway, that's a remarkable number of times to be married. Obviously, Jesus doesn't care. But you see what I mean by undressing. Jesus is talking with someone that he shouldn't be talking to, and he's revealing the most embarrassing parts of her life. It is really a, a sort of odd uh, conversation. And I think, though, before we, we could conclude that this is some sort of cruel social experiment, we need to look at what Jesus offers and what he himself does. Some of y'all know in all of the other Gospels, there is this strange um, habit of Jesus to be very selective about who he reveals himself to. And so in the Gospel of Mark, there's that famous scene where Mark is with Peter, and he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter says, rightly, Jesus, you are the Messiah. And then Jesus, it says, warns him to tell no one. And this happens throughout different Gospels, and scholars have called this for a long time the, the messianic secret. It's, um, it's uh, a strange occurrence. People are kind of baffled by it. People talk about it a whole lot. There are lots of books and articles written. Uh, but why does he do that? Well, I... I um, my take is that Jesus knows that some people won't be able to handle who he really is. There are all kinds of other ways to describe it, but I think it's that Jesus knows that some people simply won't be able to handle who he really is. He knows that some crowds will be tempted to, to flock to him as if he were like a political leader or something, which is not, that's not what he wants. Some crowds, like the Pharisees, they would see him as a, as a threat, and then some crowds like the Romans would uh, also see him as a sort of rebellious uprising. They wouldn't know what to do with this. He also knows that some will believe. Some of them will believe. And so he says to this woman at the well, If you knew who I am, then you would ask me for water. Have water that wells up to eternal life. She says sort of surprisingly, Sir, give me this water. He then says, the hour is coming when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And again, she seems to follow. She says, sir, I know the Messiah is coming. And then finally, he says, I who speak to you am he. I am that Messiah. And this is a remarkable revelation because the Pharisees, the religious experts, all the people who should know who Jesus is, all of the leaders of Israel, they can't, they can't handle to see Jesus unveiled. 
They can't handle to see who he really is. Why? Only the one who's been undressed, found vulnerable, and wanting can see who Jesus really is. Undressed, vulnerable, and wanting. She's undressed. She's found admittedly vulnerable, and she is thirsty. She is the perfect image of the ones who would see who Jesus truly is. So Jesus undresses this woman. We find vulnerability. Jesus then undresses himself, and we see God. Scripture, as you know, doesn't have any uh, arbitrary details. There, um, look, if, if God is truly full of wisdom and he's truly providential and he knows exactly what he's doing with every detail in all of his lives, in all of his life, on our lives, it means that all of the details collected in Scripture actually have to mean something. So one of the convictions that you see Christians hold throughout the whole tradition is not that we can figure all of Scripture out, not that every detail can be discerned of what it really is, but that all of it actually matters. All of it is relevant. And so in the opening detail of this story, we see that this happens at a well. And that this happens at a well is all too revealing. Because wells have this particular meaning in the Old Testament. Abraham finds Rebekah, the wife of Isaac, at a well. Jacob meets his beloved wife, Rachel, the one he waits for at a well. And Moses even meets Zipporah at a well. So now we see Jesus meets this washed up, morally messed up, wrong people-grouped woman at this well, and he tells her exactly who he really is. See, you thought I was just joking around saying that using this word undressing, but I really meant it. This woman at a well is marriage material for Jesus. This is a, 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 a marriage. It's a palimpsest over which marriage shows us what's really going on here. Jesus goes to a well to find the woman and need the one who is needy, vulnerable, and has nothing to offer him and says, that's my bride. And she is the image of who we are, the church. And so this scene, which seems to be one of poverty, seems to be one of vulnerability, and it seems to be one of sort of end of the road, is actually one of blessing and abundance and even celebration. You see, Jesus surveys this landscape, this desert landscape, and he tells his disciples, fields are bursting. They're ripe for the harvest. The laborers are few. Even the ones who are already at work are receiving their, la- their wages. And so Jesus not only uncovers this woman, he not only uncovers himself, but he uncovers what's really going on all around. And it's the field is ripe for the harvest. So Jesus looks around and we see this dusty town, this washed up woman, some lonely well, and he sees a bride, Right? We see a desert, and he sees these streams of living water. We see the wrong kind of people, the Samaritans, and he sees a kingdom. So a fair question for us on a day like today, I think, is, you know, what what do we see when we look around? Uh, I see people freaking out. I see lots of anxiety. I see a ton of fear. I see sickness. I see devastation in the wake of these tornadoes. But what do we think Jesus sees? 
I'm not going to be the one to tell you that you need to go and see all of this as some silver lining. That would be too easy. I'm not going to tell you that this is the uh, perfect place to uh, really see and feel who Jesus is. But it's certainly close. I don't want to be dismissive. I I, I don't want to um, make any of you feel invalidated who are worried and scared. But I do want to encourage you to look through the eyes of Jesus. When you look around at your world, when you look at all the fear and anxiety, I promise you Jesus doesn't see sheer anxiety. He doesn't see sheer vulnerability. He sees fields ripe for the harvest. What that means for you in your particular circumstance, I'm not sure. You'll have to find that out. But I do know that it's good news. I think the best example I can think of of this sort of attitude was... um, Happened to me uh, some years ago. It was right after Hurricane Katrina. And my sister and my, my dad and I, we loaded up this church bus. And we filled it with a bunch of stuff. And we drove down to Mobile, which is actually where I was born and where my, um, my parents lived for 10 years. So we, we took all of, all of this stuff down to Mobile Bay and we stayed at a friend's house. And on the way down, the friend said, hey, look, we're going to have to meet you out, outside. Our house is destroyed there's a little bit of it we could stay in, but most of it's gone. So they, they met us, you know, they had to wander around the neighborhood because it's all flooded. So we get into the car, and uh, the wife of this family, Mickey, my, I, my sister asked her, I don't remember the story that clearly, apparently, but my, my sister remembers, remembers it really well. It's become a family favorite. She said, Mickey, you know, why don't you go stay somewhere else? Are you... Are you worried that someone's going to rob you, steal all your stuff? And Mickey, in a deep, uh, lower Alabama accent that I will not try and recreate, said to my sister, Are you kidding me? You can't rob me. I'm a Christian. You can't rob me. There is nothing you can take in that house that could do anything to me. I'm a Christian. You can't rob me. See, Mickey knew that even the things that mattered most for her, you can't steal because she's a Christian. And I would say even for us in these coming days or weeks, maybe months, you will need to be given something that no one can steal. And in this text, Jesus promises you that. That's what the stream of living water is. It is his love that cannot be taken from you. And it's clear throughout Scripture over and over and over and over and over, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And look, I'm not going to make promises. I don't know what's going to happen. I have no clue what's going to happen. But I know one thing. Neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, things to come, powers, or height, nor depth, anything in all creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There's nothing in these coming months that can separate you from the stream of living water that is Christ's love for you. And to believe that is to have streams of water that don't end. So I pray that that would be true for us. That would be true for me and for all of us in this church. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.